Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to Ebooks in Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Dr. Jacob Johansson, who is a senior lecturer in the Media and Communications Department at Westminster University in London, about his new book, Psychoanalysis, uh, Psychoanalysis even, and Digital Culture, Audiences, Social Media, and Big Data, which is published by Routledge in 2019. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, this fascinating book, uh, really, really interesting, and gives, uh, I guess, a kind of slightly different take uh, on contemporary media studies um, to maybe where the field is at the moment. And it'd be good to know a bit about why you were kind of interested in writing about psychoanalysis and digital culture or, or, or media studies. So my, my kind of um, background originally is in, you know, kind of media studies, communication studies. So I, I'm not a psychoanalyst, so I don't have a kind of psychoanalytic background. Or I'm not kind of trained in psychoanalysis. Um, but one of the kind of um, things that have always struck me, um, in particularly sort of when it comes to, you know, like a, like a field such as audience research, so I have a kind of interest in audience studies and so on, um, but what always kind of struck me is that actually the kind of people, you know, who we are kind of interested in, audiences, media users and so on, um, they are sort of, they tend to be, either sort of taken for granted as a kind of very rational kind of um, human agent um, who is sort of always fully aware of what they are doing in relation to the media and we as kind of media researchers can just go on and interview them or can sort of write about them without really having the need to kind of step back a little bit and think about actually you know who is this human who is the kind of subject of media studies, audience research, and so on. And I kind of wanted to um, sort of disrupt that a little bit and kind of say, actually, we need to think a little bit more about, you know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a kind of media user? What's the relationship between, you know, various kind of media, digital media, and us as kind of human beings? And I think to me, at least, psychoanalysis is very useful there because far from it just being a kind of clinical discipline, it's actually a kind of theory of, of the human subject that is very complex, that kind of shifts our attention, you know, to kind of contradictions, to sort of the irrational, the unconscious, to affect, to... Um, that sort of that we're not always necessarily able to tell, you know, why we are watching a particular program, for example, why we use kind of media in a certain way. So that was kind of the starting point, really, for for my book. So that I kind of wanted to establish some kind of dialogue between media studies, communication studies, and sort of psychoanalysis, both theoretically and also methodologically as well. I mean, you mentioned one of the big kind of key words in the book affect that and it'd be interesting to hear you maybe unpack that a little 
because obviously it's like really crucial uh, to the book. But mm. also uh, one of the book's arguments is that affect is absolutely crucial to how we should understand digital media. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, so apart from sort of this, this sort of interest that I have in, you know, the kind of course synchronistic media studies or, or this kind of field where um, there are some um, authors who have kind of looked at you know these sort of themes but it's it's sort of very much uh, a kind of niche um, field even though it's sort of maybe has sort of slightly grown ever since you know we have the internet and we have kind of digital uh, media there is maybe more of an interest uh, in, in kind of combining those two but the other interest that I have is is, is affect and um, affect, uh, or what we could call maybe kind of affect studies or affect theories, I mean, it's quite a kind of vast field. It's quite messy in a way. Um, and there are kind of many sort of different definitions of, of affect. Um, and in general, we could kind of say, you know, affect refers to um, the body. It refers to kind of bodily processes um, kind of moments of sort of contact between human bodies, but also between kind of human and non-human bodies. There's a sort of excessiveness sort of involved. It's about, again, it's about kind of consciousness, the unconscious, non-cognition, and so on. You know, many kind of affect theories sort of stress that. And um, I'm particularly kind of interested, given my interest in psychoanalysis, to kind of develop, to kind of think through a sort of psychoanalytic affect theory, because there are also some affect theorists, sort of early work, um, uh, Brian Masumi, for example, even kind of um, Spinoza, um, that is not so much about the human subject, but that kind of moves away from a focus on uh, the individual and is kind of more interested in kind of um, moving beyond kind of individuals, uh, uh, something that is sort of trans-individual and so on. But I kind of want to um, think about affect from a psychoanalytic perspective. And Freud, for Freud, um, I kind of start with him in the book, he kind of argues that affect is a sort of experience, you know, for the, for the individual. Um, that, that, that kind of occurs in relation to a particular kind of stimulus so so this could be something that i see on television where i'm affected by it where i'm kind of bodily sort of moved by it um and um, for freud affect here is kind of understood as a kind of like a sort of bodily dispossession so in in that moment i'm still kind of i'm sort of hit by something and i sort of feel it rather than sort of know about it it's just sort of difficult to kind of um explain it. And I thought that was very interesting to, to sort of take that as a starting point um, to uh, sort of explore, you know, different media because of this kind of fast-paced, you know, affectivity that is sort of inherent in things like reality television, in social media and other kind of media that we, you know, use on a day-to-day -day basis. So, so, so that was kind of my, my starting point. Um, and I also then kind of um, sort of developed this a little bit further in uh, drawing on a French um, psychoanalyst, Didier Anzieux. I don't know if I, I can say a bit more about that. Um, because for, for Freud, as I said, kind of affect is sort of, a, a sort, of a, sort of rooted in the individual subject. Um, 
is not so much, it, it cannot fully explain um, what actually sort of happens in an affective experience, what about sort of more phenomenological dimension to that, a more kind of also relational uh, dimension to that. And Anzieux um, is very interesting because he came up with this, what he calls uh, the skin ego, um, which essentially is about a sort of connection between the um, mother, father, sort of primary caregivers and the baby, so that the, the skin ego sort of comes into being as the baby is in a sort of affective sort of relational contact, you know, with those around her by being touched, by being held, by being rocked, by being spoken to and so on. Um, and it's through these kind of affective sort of relational experiences, through these kind of um, very sort of sensual uh, experiences that actually the baby sort of um, arrives at a sense of self. So, so the, the baby sort of has this illusion at first that she is kind of sharing a common skin with those around her in what Anzu calls the skin ego. And eventually this is turned into the ego as the, as the baby kind of, you know, the toddler kind of matures and arrives at a sort of sense of self. So the skin ego sort of... Um, sort of trans transferred uh transformed into the into into an ego um and and so this these two sort of sort of these two thinkers sort of freud and Anzieu, they're sort of my um sort of starting point for thinking about what is our relationship today you know with um with, with, with the media um particularly sort of when it comes to uh, when it comes to affect i mean this has got particular uh, methodological implications as well having mm. this um, theoretical commitment and I, I was struck in the book how you know you, you've got some methods that uh, I think would be intuitively familiar to contemporary media studies but also in some ways you kind of subvert or disrupt those methods so you know you've got close engagements with mm. individuals experiences of media mm. whether that's you know kind of watching television programs or using social media but you treat them i guess kind of slightly differently um almost i guess as kind of you know um, moments of uh, relationships of analysis uh, even more than you know just the kind of yeah interview data that was was told to you and, and i think methodologically that the book is particularly interesting so it'd be great to sort of um, here, I guess, the methodological implications of your, of your theoretical starting point. Yeah, um, that's actually very sort of very interesting how you how you put it. So, um, uh, in terms of sort of that, I'm sort of almost recreating a sort of analysis or a sort of um, psychoanalytic encounter. And in a way, yes, but also I you know really kind of strongly uh, have to disagree with that. And and here's why um, because um, so. Most of the book is is yeah it's about kind of interview data is about sort of qualitative uh, uh, interviews because that's also sort of uh, a problem that I have with sort of existing works that you know kind of use psychoanalysis to think about the media a lot of them tend to be theoretical or if we kind of go back in history you know the sort of film studies works that that was very that were very influential they sort of pretty much imagined, you know, audiences. They were kind of constructed on, on a theoretical level what, what film, you know, did to us and so on. So I, I kind of want to link it to kind of empirical research. Um, and, and, and I do that by sort of conducting interviews um, with individuals. And I was um, 
particularly kind of interested in exploring the relationship between kind of um, biography, aspects of individuals' biographies or life histories and their media use. So the question, from a kind of psychoanalytic perspective, the question is always, you know, whatever we do, no matter what we do, uh, there is some kind of relationship between that, whether it's, you know, uh, watching television and our kind of our kind of biography, um, uh, you know, the, the, it's, it's not in a kind of vacuum or it's not kind of completely random while we are kind of um, uh, so kind of attached to a particular TV show, for example, um, there that, 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 that might be some links there. So I was kind of interested in exploring that. And I, um, I'm doing that through uh, interviews and um, I draw on um, two scholars from psychosocial studies, Wendy Holway and Tony Jefferson, who have sort of drawn on, sort of adopted the, the, this psychoanalytic idea of free association. So that the idea is, you know, in analysis, uh, the patient sits in, uh, on a chair or lies on a couch and, and is sort of freely associating whatever comes to mind. Um, and the analyst is kind of listening and really not so much intervening. Um, and this, uh, those um, scholars of Holway and Jefferson Davis kind of use that in sort of uh, a social research. Um, um, and, and what I sort of did in, in, in the interviews was that I um, sort of asked interviewees to sort of talk to me about sort of their life histories to begin with, sort of to give an account of who they are in, in a sense. And then I had some kind of general questions about um, um, the particular kind of media that I was interested in. Um, and, and the idea behind it is that through uh, enabling this kind of more free associations where I as a researcher am not intervening that much, um, more kind of um, the emphasis is sort of less on consciousness, it's less on a sort of that the individual is really kind of trying to think about oh, what am I saying now, uh, trying to maybe even sort of restrict what they're saying, but to kind of let narratives flow in, in, a, in a sort of um, less restrictive way so that also kind of affective or sort of unconscious moments can maybe even sort of be rendered conscious in, in interviews. Yeah. Um, but just, I mean, very briefly, it's what I kind of need to really stress is that I'm not, you know, I'm not psychoanalyzing the people that I uh, spoke to. I'm not a psychoanalyst. I'm, you know, I, I'm not kind of making any sort of interpretations about um, them or their mental health or whatever. It's more a method that is kind of, you know, it's a, it's a sort of qualitative interview or almost kind of ethnography that is sort of informed by, you know, psychoanalysis, sort of epistemological. I mean, the, the really obvious way to think about how this plays out is with the empirical material. Mm. So um, you use this TV show, Embarrassing Bodies, uh, which, I mean, I sort of find it slightly hard to describe, a kind of like voyeuristic, mm. quasi-medical uh, television program. And, and you do this in two ways. One is, I guess, the kind of how individuals are interacting um, with the TV show as watchers. Uh, and maybe, you know, you might tell me the story of uh, Ellen or, or Martha, who are mm. two of your, your case studies. But also at the same time, television is in this digital context. So there is a question about, well, how are people responding to it online, on social media? How are people, you know, tweeting or not actually about it directly? Mm. Or are they interacting with some of the 
participants, you know, what kinds of dialogues and conversations, and I guess the kind of classic comment, you know, what kind of use uh, is going on with this television show? So uh, I suppose there are two moments for embarrassing bodies. One is the story of it as a television show, and then the other is a story of it as a uh, as a television show in the context of digital media. Yeah. Um, so the book kind of uh, looks at this, you know, particular program sort of in two chapters. So one one chapter is, is sort of about just uh, looking at. Um, you know, my sort of starting point was actually why why are people watching it? You know, you also said it's it's kind of difficult to to define, or it's quite a very graphic, uh, but you know, it's kind of display of bodies and naked bodies and detailed operations and so on. And you know, I was kind of thinking, why are people actually watching that? Um, and in 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 sort of that chapter, um, I focus on, on uh, a few uh, of the people who I interviewed sort of in, in, in detail. Um, and um, there is uh, one, so one person in particular, for example, who I call, uh, sort of, who I call Ellen in, in, in the book, um, she, how she kind of spoke about the program um, was very much um, sort of about a very, very kind of meaningful uh, connection to this program. So, um, this also kind of relates to some, you know, sort of existing studies on reality television, uh, like Beverly Skeggs and, and Helen Wood or Catherine Sander, where they have also kind of stressed that actually audiences can have some quite kind of deep connections with, you know, such a trashy uh, kind of uh, format. Um, uh, uh, but I was kind of interested in kind of thinking about affect and, and the unconscious here. And what was very interesting in the case of Ellen, for example, is that she was... Uh, she had had a, f- a family member who who had a chronic illness, and she kind of spoke to me about um, her kind of experiences, you know, with, with that, and that she had kind of experienced doctors who were very, very uh, bad. They're kind of misdiagnosing that person, and it was all a very uh, kind of horrible experience. And then she's watching this program, which is all about classic kind of reality TV stuff. There is always a solution for everybody. People are kind of, you know, the patients are instantly helped. They get first-class treatment. You know, they don't have to wait or anything. There's no waiting list. Uh, and, and they're always kind of healed. So this happy ending narrative is, is sort of there. Um, and at the same time, um, or I kind of argue in the book, that this sort of engaging with this sort of uh, content was actually very helpful for audiences Many of who I interviewed had had some kind of experiences about their body, be it they they had um, illnesses or they felt kind of uncomfortable uh, uh, about their bodies and so on. I mean, this is, you know, we all have that. This is absolutely natural. Um, And then they used this to kind of um, work through these kind of experiences. But this very much kind of happened in in a kind of unconscious way because none of them actually you know, sort of make that connection that I'm sort of making in my, in my analysis or in my interpretation. They didn't um, link their kind of experiences or their kind of life histories with this engagement, with, with their kind of consumption of the program. Um, and that's why I kind of argue the program actually uh, facilitates a sort of unconscious sort of encounter, you know, where they're able to... Um, sort of work through, uh, you know, experiences that, that they've had uh, sort of about their bodies. Yeah. 
And how, how does this play out like online then in terms mm. of the, I guess, the digital moments of, of this media use? Yeah, that's very interesting because I, you know, I also thought I can't just do a kind of research project on, you know, just television uh, viewing. You know, we're kind of past that now. <laughs> I need to also try and talk to them or ask them about uh, their social media use. And I was interested if they are actually sharing or if they are posting um, about the program online on Twitter. I mainly kind of focus on Twitter because they tended to be on. Twitter. Um, and what was very interesting was that actually, no, they, you know, they didn't. They, they uh, didn't um, talk about it online at all, or they, they didn't post about it at all. Um, and they, they, they kind of um, sort of um, spoke to me about that in, in, in one sense, because they said, oh, this is, you know, this, this is so kind of... Um, private or this is not a topic that should be kind of uh, shared on social media it's not a topic for kind of conversation they also didn't actually sort of um talk to anyone offline you know to their friends or family or whatever they didn't talk to anyone about their kind of love for this show you know i was sort of sometimes the first one that ever kind of spoken to about this um but again i kind of argue this relates to this kind of unconscious sort of connection they were so kind of affected by um, by the program, uh, uh, on the one hand, that they felt kind of very, you know, secure, very in a very kind of almost like a sort of skin ego environment, um, held sort of by these doctors who were always, you know, sort of arguing that or sort of showing there is kind of a solution for everything. But at the same time, through these very, very kind of graphic scenes and operations and so on, this was kind of disrupted and and that's why they are kind of unable to to share things online yeah i mean the, the book really broadens out um this focus on digital media using uh affect and i guess there's a kind of uh theoretical moment that might be uh interesting to hear about in the second half of the book which is this concept of effective labor but also in turn the kinds of um subjectivities you were finding from your your participants and how mm. they were using um, digital modes of communication in a variety of sort of uh, different ways to present themselves and be entrepreneurial and this mm. kind of stuff. So mm. I mean, yeah, I guess that kind of core question is: what is this effective labour idea? Yeah, so so um, as you kind of said, that the book has sort of different sort of case studies, and then um, I sort of spent two chapters. Uh, discussing another kind of research project, um, which was about interviews uh, with people who have facial disfigurements about their use of social media, so how they kind of use social media. And this is a project I did together with um, Diana Garisi. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of very interested in, you know, critical theory. This is also, you know, it's a, the critical theory uh, part of the New Books Network podcast, um, and I'm very interested in this idea of effective labor and particularly how it's been kind of developed or conceptualized by Hart and Negri. Um, you know, for them, kind of immaterial labor, then they kind of say effective labor is a kind of sub subcomponent of the material labor is about, you know, thinking about the fact that labor itself is, has become more and more immaterial, you know, less from in, sort of uh, in, in industry 
towards kind of information work, you know, where we are producing um, commodities that are sort of intangible, that are, you know, not, um, that, you know, that are about services or, or whatever. And also that we are um, producing what, you know, Hart and Negri call kind of feelings of ease or passion or, you know, that we are kind of producing feelings and emotions and so on. And I think that's, that's very interesting um, as a starting point to think about some, some kind of types of social media use. Um, and also I kind of spent some time in the book sort of unpacking this more because I have my problems with how Hart and Negri, you know, define this because they are not really actually sort of saying what they mean by affective labor and so on. But that's, you know, I developed this more in the book. Um, to, to then kind of think about this, this particular um, narratives of, of those individuals with uh, facial disfigurements, how they use social media, what really struck me about them was that they spoke about it in a very, very kind of professional manner. So they, um, they kind of used uh, uh, social media and sort of different profiles and so on to raise awareness of kind of issues around bodily diversity or sort of their own bodies and so on. And this was very, it was very professional. It was almost like, um, uh, like a sort of work in itself. And that's why I wanted to kind of relate it to effective labor um, to kind of also introduce a more kind of, you know, sort of subjective element into this sort of political economy, you know, sort of uh, studies on, on digital labor, effective labor and so on. Um, and um, what was what was kind of very interesting about some of the kind of narratives of of those individuals um, was that they were kind of try they were they were sort of also trying um, to to sort of establish a particular effective atmosphere online through their kind of self representation um, through kind of raising awareness and so on through kind of engaging with their followers in a particular way that kind of um, that kind of also almost sort of established a sort of skin ego with them where they are all kind of connected in, in, in this sort of cocoon like sort of environment but at the same time this was also often kind of broken or ruptured through um, trolls or through trolling or through uh, you know, fears of how others would kind of engage with with their content and so on, um, and 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 also um, how kind of this very much sort of involved the body. Um, so they also kind of spoke quite quite at length about their kind of uh, um, sort of life histories and their kind of bodies and so on, um, and also how there was really quite a strong kind of tension in their kind of self-representation sort of about um, who they sort of are and who they are not at the same time. I, I kind of developed this sort of a lot more in the book through kind of this Lacanian idea of, of, of lack and so on, how they kind of manage this lack on a kind of bodily level and, and online as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the usual way of, I guess, kind of constructing... This sort of discussion is to talk about them as users, mm. but one of the things the book points out towards you know, the kind of conclusion of the text is the idea of actually, you know, we should think about platforms and yeah. the way that the users are in turn being used. Mm. And I mean, you know, there's a massive literature now on platform economy, on you know, the kind of 
problem of um, who is controlling online environments, etc. But obviously, the moment of psychoanalytic approaches is not, you know, really kind of emerged. Mm. And, and it'd be quite interesting to hear about how you think psychoanalysis can be really useful in, in understanding actually, you know, whether it's profiling users, how algorithms function, uh, the rise of, you know, the kind of big data moments mm. and how we understand both, you know, online environments but also platforms. Yeah. Um, so, so the kind of the kind of last uh, chapter in the book, sort of before the con conclusion chapter, um, sort of looks at these issues um, and sort of moves moves away from actually from from interview data. Uh, so it doesn't really kind of feature interview data. It's more sort of sort of about exploring, you know, these some of these things that you just mentioned. Because um, I'm very interested in this rise of big data uh, uh, algorithms and so on. What what sort of happens? Happens online because there is this this fundamental kind of um, binary or sort of dichotomy online. On the one hand, where we have you know a platform, we have an interface, and we can kind of use it, and we see, and we we upload a photo, or we post some uh, a message, or engage with someone else, whatever. And we see all these things, uh, and and it's all kind of immediately there, and at the same time. Um, beneath, you know, that surface, a lot is going on in the background where we actually ha don't have a clue uh, what's going on, or maybe we have a vague kind of idea. We know about surveillance, we know about you know Snowden, Snowden revelations, and some some things that Facebook, you know, did uh, Cambridge Analytica, and so on. We have a vague kind of awareness, but actually we know very little about what sort of happens to our our data, how our data are. Are used and and what the role algorithms play and most of us can't understand you know algorithms from a technical perspective and so on so I'm very interested in kind of exploring this more uh, uh, in the book um, and I do that sort of through arguing that you know we can think about big data we can think about these processes datafication and so on through what I call um, Disindividualizing kind of processes. So on the one hand, um, we absolutely, you know, we need kind of um, uh, algorithms. We need kind of uh, datafication. You know, our data are kind of um, taken or appropriated and merged with you know millions, millions of other data sets. We become like a little tiny bit in a large data set, and so on. We need you know these processes so that these platforms function. You know, otherwise they they don't they don't work. And um, by, you know, by these things occurring in the background, they actually um, allow us to have a sort of very personalized, sort of um, unique, you know, user experience of these platforms. So it's very, very individualizing. And it's, it's very much about, you know, these platforms showing us that sort of we are very valued. Uh, we are actually, we are kind of loved by them. You know, often we... Sometimes on Facebook, you get these kind of personal messages, you know, uh, your posts have been liked 5,000 times, or, you know, congratulations, now you have 200 friends, made 200 friends this year, whatever. And, you know, that's, that, that is sort of uh, fantastic because it's, it's about sort of valuing, you know, us as users. But at the same time, um, they are very, very much disindividualizing because, um, we don't really know what sort of happens to our data. Um, our data are used for, you know, are sold to, uh, to advertisers for target advertising on, on Facebook or other platforms and so on. Or they are um, 
merged um, with you know third party data and and all these things and this is kind of um, very sort of disindividualizing because I sort of argue that the logic behind this is that these kind of tech companies they think sort of they you know they know us better than than we do so the logic of the algorithm and and of big data and so on is sort of about actually um, not only enabling this sort of very personal user experience, but actually influencing us, manipulating um, decisions that we make um, so that we can, you know, that, that we will kind of make decisions in a particular way. And this is very, very kind of uh, disindividualizing. It's very kind of um, attacking, almost sort of attacking us on, on a sort of subjective level. I mean, we could talk about all different kind of things that are going on in the book you know we really only scratch the surface of, of, of the of the text really but I, I guess is that kind of final area something that you're going to be doing more work on or you know are you going to go back to kind of thinking through that methodological approach you developed what what's the kind of uh, next steps that follow the book um yeah so so i at the moment i'm very much kind of still thinking about what we've just kind of been talking about you know this this issue of big data and sort of algorithms and so on to kind of I want to kind of continue uh, to do some more work on that um, and at the moment I'm sort of working on sort of a little uh, sort of writing an article um, that will kind of engage with some sort of more recent work in this area because what also strikes me is that a lot of the more we could call it the more kind of philosophical you know works that look at uh, big data algorithms and so on they come from a kind of new materialism perspective or object-oriented ontology where it's all about kind of you know decentering the human arguing that we're now all kind of some sort of huge assemblage we're all kind of merged with uh, uh, non-human entities and bodies and and it's all just one big kind of mass I, I have a slight sort of problem with that, so I want to kind of um, think through some of these approaches and um, sort of um, argue how, you know, psychoanalysis can maybe um, help us here, because in a way, yes, we all, you know, we, it's all kind of, all, it's all merging and it's all kind of connected and, and so on, but at the end of the day, there are still individuals, you know, individual users here, so what does that mean for us? Yeah, so that's that's sort of uh, that's something I'm, I'm I'm working on at the moment.